Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week, we're going to talk about knee dislocations. The podcast was prompted by a case I saw recently, and as I'm reading up about it, I realized that these are pretty rare, so it makes it the perfect topic for the podcast. We had a post on this topic back in June 2016, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes. When we talk about knee dislocations, there are two separate entities we have to tease out. There are the patellar dislocations and the true knee dislocations. We're going to focus on the latter, the true knee dislocations, because patellar dislocations, they're not really that big a deal. A true knee dislocation refers to tibiofemoral dislocation defined as displacement of the tibia with respect to the femur with disruption of the stabilizing ligaments. That's the ACL, PCL, LCL, and MCL. Most dislocations result from a high-energy mechanism, like a fall from height, or in an MVC where the dashboard strikes the knee. However, low-energy mechanisms aren't that uncommon either. This is particularly true in the morbidly obese patients who can have minor trauma, including just stepping off of a curb awkwardly. MRAP covered this particular entity in 2015, and we'll leave a link to that in the show notes as well. As mentioned earlier, true knee dislocations are rare. A Mayo Clinic study reported 14 over the course of 2 million patient visits, and a study in L.A. County reported 53 over a 10-year period. The number may actually be higher as knee dislocations spontaneously reduce in about 50% of cases, so we may simply be missing some of these. If the knee is still dislocated on arrival, it's going to be fairly obvious in most patients, but it may not be that obvious in morbidly obese patients where the redundant tissue can cloud the exam. In most patients, you're going to see a grossly abnormal knee, decreased range of motion, and severe pain with any attempts at manipulation of the joint. In those that spontaneously reduce, the only indication that there was a dislocation may be that the patient reports feeling their knee slip out of place, or you may see a significant joint effusion, swelling, or ecchymosis. Stability testing of the knee that spontaneously reduced will also show diffuse laxity and may be a tip-off as well. In all patients with either a report concerning for a dislocation or with a knee that's still dislocated, it is critical to perform a thorough neurovascular exam. All dislocations can result in injury of the popliteal artery, which runs directly posterior to the joint and is tethered in the popliteal fossa. Injuries can be seen in up to 15% of patients. If the patient is still dislocated and you can't feel a distal dorsalis pedis or posterior tibial pulse, reduce the knee immediately and recheck for a pulse. If the knee has already reduced and you've got absent pulses, call your vascular surgeon immediately as prolonged ischemic time is limb-threatening. The key here is that even if the joint has spontaneously reduced, vascular injury should still be on your mind and it's going to need a full assessment. In addition to the popliteal artery, the common peroneal nerve can be injured in up to 25% of patients. You can check for injury by testing for sensation to the lateral surface of the leg and dorsum of the foot, as well as testing for foot eversion and dorsiflexion. The presence of a significant nerve injury should again trigger you to call your surgeons for an assessment. Now let's take the case that I just had. The patient had a relatively low mechanism of injury, a slip and fall with a hyperextended leg. On exam, there was a clear deformity of the knee, but sensation and distal pulses were both intact. A quick AP and lateral x-ray showed an anterior dislocation. Reduction was actually pretty easy. As with any dislocation, the key is to exaggerate the dislocation and then get some traction counter-traction going. 
I was able to stabilize the thigh at the distal femur, and one of our residents took the lower leg in her hands, pulled anteriorly a bit, and then provided traction and the tibia thunked back into place in about 10 seconds. After reduction, you've got to once again do a full neurovascular assessment. If the pulses were absent previously, have they returned? If the pulse was present before, is it now absent? In our case, the distal pulses were still palpable. Once the knee is reduced, it's important to check the ankle brachial index as the next part of your assessment for any vascular injury. If the ankle systolic blood pressure over the brachial systolic blood pressure is greater than 0.9, it's unlikely there's any significant injury to the popliteal artery. And if you're in doubt, you can always compare to the other side, the patient's non-affected leg. If the ABI is less than 0.9, you have to be worried about a vascular injury despite the presence of pulses. In the past, if the ABI was normal, meaning greater than 0.9, we would observe the patient and repeat the ABIs in about six hours or so, and then the patient could possibly go home if they were normal. If the ABI was less than 0.9, the patient would go to the OR with vascular surgery for an arteriogram. CT angiogram, though, has changed this assessment. CT angio is fast and minimally invasive in comparison to the standard angio. Nowadays, whether the ABI is normal or abnormal, most orthopedic surgeons are going to want you to get a CT angio assessing for occult popliteal injuries. Don't be surprised if your consultant asks for this as the next test. Remember that you've got to assess the popliteal artery with ABIs plus or minus the CTA regardless of whether the patient spontaneously reduced prior to arrival or not. In our patient, the ABI was slightly reduced, we took them to CT angio, and no defect was found. If the CTA shows an injury, get your vascular team on the phone as the patient is going to need to go to the OR for a repair. If the CTA is normal, you can slap on a splint or a knee immobilizer. Disposition, though, can still be tricky because compartment syndrome can develop in these patients, and many orthopedic surgeons will recommend a 12- to 24-hour observation after reduction to do compartment checks. Before we finish up for the week, let's hit some take-home points. Number one, in up to 50% of true knee dislocations, spontaneous reduction is going to occur prior to arrival. Be suspicious of a dislocation in any patient who describes the joint moving out of place or if they have significant swelling, joint effusion, or ecchymosis despite normal x-rays. Take-home point number two, in all patients with suspected dislocation, perform a thorough neurovascular exam immediately as popliteal artery injury is common. If they've got an absent DP or PT pulse, reduce immediately and get a CT angiogram as quickly as possible to assess for popliteal injuries. And take-home point number three, if distal pulses are intact, you can either do ABIs and if normal, observe and repeat them, or get a CT angio. If the ABI is abnormal or the patient had an absent or decreased pulse at any point, just go ahead and get the CT angiogram. That's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google+, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore em. Thanks, and see you all next week.